Hello, and it is time for another edition of the podcast that is making change happen on the sports airwaves. Mitch Michaels here. It's the Money Mitch Effect on Friday, November 18th. And I do have a great show planned for you today. Going to talk to Matt Zickis of NFL Network, NFL Now, about some Week 11 NFL picks. He's a Chicago guy, so we'll get into Jay Cutler, his Chicago White Sox, all that and more. And then I'm going to talk to my friend, my boy from St. Louis University, Chris Scruggs. He hosted a radio show dating back to nine years ago. We're going to talk NBA basketball, talk about the landscape there, and as a St. Louis guy, what it means to him and his area that there's so many good pro athletes coming out of it. We're going to get into all of that on this episode of The Money Mitch Effect, which starts right now. Okay, now it's time for our special guest on today's show, NFL Network, NFL Now, Matt Zick. It's special Matt. guest. Special guest, yeah. Special guest. We, we are recording this in the wee hours of the night, and thanks for coming on the show. Being on the Money Mitch Effect for the first time, I'll try to break down kind of how we do things. I like to get you know the background info from our guests, sure. and you're a Chicago guy. I am. It's been an interesting year for Chicago sports. A little bit. A little <laughs> I would bit. say so. But I know you're a White Sox fan, and I bring this up because obviously the Cubs just winning the World Series. What was your reaction? What was your thought process while that was happening? While the team in Chicago that with the drought, obviously the Cubs wins. Not your preferred team, but still a Chicago team winning a championship. Well, it's a little different now because I've been out in Los Angeles for a couple of years. So I'm kind of cut off from the Chicago sports scene a little bit. It's not uh, shoved down my throat the same way it was for many, many years. And maybe I'm a little different because I worked in Chicago sports for many years. I was, what I would say, overexposed to the Cubs, the White Sox, the Bulls, the Blackhawks, and to some extent, the Bears. As a White Sox fan, for many years, before 2005, it just felt like you were always the uh, the little guy, the little brother. The Clippers to the Lakers. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe even worse because it's baseball and it's the White Sox and it's just, I don't know, it's just... They're easily forgettable for a lot of people mm-hmm. that don't, you know, don't live in the city and they don't, uh, especially don't live on the south side because it's very geographical in Chicago. It's divided by geography. It's the north side and the south side yeah. and sort of where you're raised and you grow up, that's how you decide which, which team you root for. So my whole family is from the south side. Parents were both born on the south side. And it's just, you know, it's kind of ingrained in your DNA. For many years, when I still lived in Chicago, it was tough because even when the White Sox were doing well, the Cubs stole all the headlines. And then in 2005, the White Sox won the World Series, and it still, you know, kind of felt, and maybe I'm biased, (laughs) like they weren't getting the headlines they deserved. Especially for a historically dominant postseason. Historically (laughs) dominant. They lost one game. They lost the first game of the LCS to the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Or Dodgers, uh, L.A. Angels of yeah. Anaheim, I'm sorry. Doing it to the L.A. Uh, people. <laughs> they lost one game to the uh, Angels, and that's yeah. it. They had the four complete games. It's tough. It's very tough being a White Sox fan, I think, especially now that they just renamed the uh, stadium to Guaranteed Rate Field, which is just wow. it doesn't roll off the tongue. Let's no. just be well, honest. Yeah, we went in Cleveland from Jacobs Field to Progressive Field, and and, you know, I've either. been to Progressive Field, and it's a phenomenal stadium. The difference is that U.S. Cellular Field, formerly 
new Comiskey uh, and now guaranteed rate, I mean, it's an okay place. It's not the Jake. Yeah. Progressive. I've been there. It's a great right. facility. That is not U.S. Cellular. It's not a bad place. I still call it U.S. Cellular because that's just what I know it as mm-hmm. for the last decade. You know, it's interesting, too, because I'm, as an Indians fan, and you're a White Sox fan, I've never really felt, like, hatred among, it's almost like a friendly, siblingish rivalry between the AL Central teams. Like, if it was the White Sox in this position, I think I'd probably want them to well, do well, too. I think, well, I always think back when I think about the big rivalries in the AL Central, it's the White Sox and the Twins. During Ozzie Gans' era, he called them the Piranhas. Uh, <laughs> Loved Ozzie Gans. <laughs> so... Uh, I never thought as the Indians as a big rival, and another the the team that was always giving the the White Sox fits when they were in sort of their glory days in the last five ten years. It was always the Twins, and to a lesser degree, uh, the Tigers. It wasn't so much the Indians uh, that were giving them trouble. The Royals, when they were at their worst of their worst, would always always beat the White Sox. That's incredible because they were so bad for so, so bad, long. So bad. That was the White Sox bugaboo <laughs> was the cellar-dwelling Royals, and then here we are a couple years later. Wow. I don't know. It's like White Sox, it's just you're always a little brother. And I'm happy for the Cubs. I'm happy for, for, the, for the Cubs and the city as a whole. I think that's the bigger thing and what I try and convince myself <laughs> is that it's great for the city of Chicago to finally have the Cubs win a World Series. But at the same time, I can't help but look at the White Sox and just be kind of disappointed at how much they've underperformed the last couple seasons and just to see the Cubs doing so well on every single front from the minor league system to the free agents they signed to just every single move they've made right. over the last couple of years has seemed to click. And, you know, it's it's a little disheartening to be a uh, fan of the Southsiders a little bit. And I think there's worry in there too. Like it, we've been the little brother so long and now they finally won. So now it might be on steroids. You know, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, after, and this is what I get caught up with a lot of times, it really uh, sort of bothers me, is in 2005, the White Sox win. They had, like, as you mentioned earlier, a historically dominant postseason run. And the next year, they win 90 games. They were in first place uh, at the All-Star break. They win 90 games in 2006, a fantastic season. They brought in Jim Tomey. Uh, it looked like everything was going their way, and they finished third place in the AL Central that season with 90 wins, and it's been downhill ever since. There's no reason, there was no reason to be optimistic going forward, whereas you look at the Cubs, they remind me of the Blackhawks, if you want to keep it in Chicago, where they have so much young talent that is locked up for a long time, you have no reason to think that they are going to fade anytime soon. Strong drafting, and they've built from within, and that's something the White Sox have absolutely been not able to do whatsoever, and it's what the Cubs are doing phenomenally, and it's scary yeah. for every club in baseball, not just in Chicago. I'll just, I'll just say it right. It sucks. <laughs> well, I'm glad you could admit that. Uh, I think you know, you're right. The Cubs have the front office. They scout while well, they draft well, and you know, maybe it'll turn up for the White Sox. We'll, we'll see. It could be. I have no reason to think tough. right now that things are moving in the right direction. Uh, Division's getting tougher. Chris Sale's probably like, on his way out of town. Yeah. If he, you know, if he, no more throwbacks yeah. for him. You can't have that. Yeah, anymore. yeah. He won't be cutting up any more jerseys, <laughs> at least uh, on the South Side, if things seem to move in the direction isn't, they're moving. Isn't that the textbook now for him? Just one night on Chris Sale, like when he starts, just have throwback night. <laughs> If you yeah, if he's the away pitcher yeah. and you really want to mess with him, right? then yes, that's probably the best way to go about it. Keeping it within the Chicago sports scene, talk with Matt Zickis on the Money Mitch Effect. I want to bring up the Blackhawks for one point in particular. 
And that's, I know that was the one team that you kind of got a little tired of. You brought up the uh, perceived notion, real notion really, of the Chicago bandwagon fans. I can't really think of another team in, in sports that had this quick success after years of dormant play, like the Blackhawks. Is that still the case? Are you warming back up to the Blackhawks, or have they kind of just soured you, and have, has their fan base soured you? I'll just be completely honest. Not a big hockey fan. Okay. Not a big hockey fan. But I have an appreciation for hockey, for sure. And uh, before I made my way to over to the NFL, I was spent... A good amount of time in Chicago, working in Chicago sports, covering those teams, and the Blackhawks got my start. They had just drafted Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. They were sort of on the up and up a little bit. I'd say. Uh, And I guess uh, the saga sort of begins in 2009. I think they lost the Western Conference Finals to... The Red Wings. The Red Wings in 2009. And that's where things started, kind of got started. I would sort of say that was the start (laughs) of the Blackhawks fairy tale uh, because they made it very interesting. Before they really sort of got good, I would yeah. say, really good, well, like they were elite. They were terrible. They were bad. It was so bad. 2010 comes around, they win their Stanley Cup. What I could not sort of understand <laughs> was like, all of a sudden, everyone and their mother was the biggest Blackhawks fan that had ever lived when they were getting 6,000 people at the United Center right. a season before. <laughs> And that's the same, and, I, and I'm just going to draw a parallel here, that's the same kind of feeling, almost identically, that I have with a lot of Cavs fans in the Cleveland area. From that four-year period when LeBron wasn't there, it was, who cares about the NBA, no one's there. And the Cavs were always really, and it's still, I'll, I'll say this with 100% truth, they're the third wheel in town. Even winning a championship, it's a football town, the Browns are terrible, but that's a team. And the Indians have always had more of a solid fan base. But now that they're winning, everyone's out, all oh, the Cavs are great, and there's this entitlement factor, which I'm sure you see with Blackhawk fans. Oh, yeah. And it just, it is, it t- turns you off. Well, it I would say if, if the Cavs are the third wheel in Cleveland, then the White Sox <laughs> yeah, are like well, the ninth wheel in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Blackhawks have somehow moved their way. Well, now that the Cubs won, they've definitely uh, reclaimed their spot at the top. But the Blackhawks, they went from... Literally, behind four or 5,000 <laughs> people a game. They were they were behind the Chicago Wolves, who were like the best team in the AHL. Was that, is that right? Yeah, and they were on TV. <laughs> and they were on TV. They went from getting four, five, six thousand people a night at the United Center, a, a place at this exact same time, uh, no better than mediocre to slightly above average Bulls team, was selling out every single game in the same arena. But the Blackhawks, you know, they win the Stanley Cup, and I get it. And it's fine... I don't have any problem with people who are big fans. I like, and I, I would put myself in this boat. I'm a huge White Sox fan. They are in a little bit of a, a extended stretch of below mediocrity. They're hanging. Uh, out and I'm still a fan. Like, I don't. I haven't disowned them or anything. It's just mm-hmm. the difference between what happened with the Blackhawks and maybe a team like the White Sox that went from winning a World Championship in 2005 to sort of being irrelevant these mm-hmm. days is that people kind of stick by. The fans are there. It's the same fans. Whereas with the Blackhawks, the vibe you sort of got was they went from nobody cared at all to all of a sudden, just because they were doing well, everybody was the biggest Blackhawks fan. And they just, I don't have a problem with people getting excited about it, but what sort of annoyed me was so many people just sort of pretending that they were born as, you know, the world's biggest Blackhawks fan. And so, you know, I feel like the United Center in the winter is, you know, Wrigley West. 
It's like a lot of people who are just there because the vibe is cool. They ultimately don't care what's happening. They just know that when you go to the United Center and there's 20,000 people there for a a hockey game for a team that's pretty good, the atmosphere is great. And I went tonight. The atmosphere is great. You know, as a person who's not a big hockey fan, Mm -hmm. the chance I've had to go see the Blackhawks play over the last several years, I've maybe been, I don't know, half a dozen games. Yeah, it's a great atmosphere. It's a good time. You don't have to be a huge hockey fan to enjoy it. One of the best teams in the NHL. You don't have to be a huge fan to appreciate that. You're going to get that with sportsman teams do well. Absolutely. Chicago is Chicago's a heightened city. It's the it's People get the excited. They get excited. The I get yeah. that. It's just no, I hear you. You it's can have an appreciation for the team doing well without sort of pretending that you were there in the dark days too. They were upset. Cuz I think that's one yeah. of the most important things about being a passionate sports fan. You have to s- stick by during the tough times. Oh yeah, I'm I'm going down in the brown. As someone right that's a fan of <laughs> Cleveland of teams, teams, you know that more than anybody of, yeah. of the importance of sticking by when things aren't going so well. I do. Well, hey, you know what? You, you brought up some good points and some bad memories, so I'm just gonna harvest that right. for a little bit. So we're talking about Matt Zickis on the Money Mitch effect, and before we get to some of these NFL picks this week, moseying right along the NFL week to week eleven. Matt, I want to give you your chance as we also tie a bow on the Chicago sports theme. The Bears have been a disaster this year. One guy That's in particular. That's a little harsh. <laughs> well, harsh, I guess. I mean, the Browns were a disaster. The Niners were a disaster. They might be that third-place disaster. But I want to get your thoughts on the quarterback position. Yeah. Jay Cutler, I know you were one of the, his biggest defenders. Long-time Jay are Cutler still, apologist. Are you still defender or do you think he has any future i guess it's a two-part question after this season with the bears future yes with the bears absolutely not absolutely not. i I would be very surprised to see him as the starting quarterback heading into week one 2017 be very surprised it's a team that is seems to be pretty clear that he is not going to be the guy that is leading the ship when this team finally gets things turned around which I don't think is something that's happening anytime soon anyways. I sort of look on him, he's kind of like an acquired taste. Like scotch or just... Yeah, it's like, you know, once you kind of get accustomed to him, you're like, yeah, all right, this guy, he's got it. But it kind of takes a while to get to that point, and I understand completely why a lot of people don't like him, and I was the most ardent Jay Cutler supporter for the longest time. I would say that maybe my support has waned a little bit in uh, over the last season or two. But it's hard not to look at the guy and think he's got the tools, at least physically. He can sling it as far as anybody in the league. He's tough as hell, and I don't care what anybody says if they want to harken back to that NFC title game. As someone who's gotten to see him take nearly every snap he's taken over the last several years, he takes more licks than a lot of other guys. I mean, he gets he's tough as hell, and it just sucks that him bowing out of the title game against the Packers NFC title game is going to be a major stain on his legacy because the guy gets way more crap than he deserves. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, doesn't live up to his contract. He's way more hype than what he actually delivers in the long term. And it's just, it's hard to continue week after week, find a way to defend the guy because he, he just... He's had every opportunity to really put it together, and he just has not. One game, like against the Vikings uh, a couple weeks ago on uh, in primetime, he looked pretty good, efficient, didn't make mistakes. And then you have a game like last week against Tampa where it's Oof. like 
Yeah, what it's is this? vintage J, you could call it. <laughs> I think the two things with color. One is he's better than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. We I mean, assume that just because in spurts. He, yeah, in spurts, and and even even the whole package. There's a lot of there's a few. I'd say at least five or six teams that would in a second be like. Cover, well, he'll have no cover, trouble right? finding a job next year. I just I would be yeah. surprised if it's in, the, in Chicago. The contract makes it tough. It's hard to defend how much he's getting paid versus what the yeah. performance has been. And I don't want to say attitude with color. It almost seems very. I don't front- buy into a lot of that stuff. It seems very front runnerish the way he plays. When he starts off hot, things are going well. He could be as good as any quarterback just about in the league. But we saw Tampa Bay: a pick, a fumble, the offense misses a block, a receiver drops a ball, and he just okay. I'm I'm kind of not I'm not shutting down, but I'm I'm just going to play my game and just see what happens. Well, well, what I think will ultimately be Jay Cutler's downfall at least in terms of his career and how his legacy rather and how people remember him is his, his demeanor. And, uh, you know, that's as much as maybe he wouldn't want to admit it. It's a big part of the game. A guy it just looks like he doesn't care. I like to sort of <laughs> compare him or maybe contrast him to a guy like Philip Rivers, two guys yeah. that have sort of had careers that have evolved, uh, along the same timeline. They've had a little bit of a rivalry. I know they there were at times where it seemed like maybe they didn't really like each other, but if you look at their careers and kind of compare them, uh, they're two guys who can sling it, gunslingers. If I hate that term, I can't believe I just used it, but uh, they're two guys that just love to throw the ball. And Philip Rivers, when things aren't going his way, like mm-hmm. like when things aren't going south, he's there to sort of help pick his team up and make them know that look, we're going to get through this. Whereas Jay. And look, this is only what we can see from, you know, the shots on the sidelines and what we hear in the post game and what we hear from his teammates and what we see in the game. It just seems sometimes like he's disinterested. He's not rallying around his teammates. And even if that's not the case in the locker room, it's, you know, perception is reality. And when that's all we see, that's what people are going to assume. And that's how they're going to remember him. And uh, as a guy who had all the talent in the world, but just never seemed to have the mental aspect. He would be remembered a lot better if just uh, over the years, he had just presented himself better. He interacted with the media better. He had given himself a better public persona. And I understand that there are certain athletes that maybe that's not something they care about. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Like if I was a professional athlete, I wouldn't want people prying into my life. I wouldn't want to have to have this certain persona that I have to have publicly and be happy all the time. And you know, pretend that everything's always the best. And that just seems like something Jay doesn't care about. And that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I just think part of being uh, maybe a quarterback or just a, a high-profile athlete, part of it, it's more than just what you do on the field. It's how you're perceived. And especially when you're such a prominent position in a big market team, you, you can't leader. get away with that. And that's how he's going to be remembered. It's a shame because had he been a little more friendly with the fans and the media you know, how we would hear his teammates perceive him. The way people would remember him in Chicago sports as a whole would be so much better. And I fear that in the long term, a lot of people are just going to have a very sour memory of Jay Cutler, when in the grand scheme, he wasn't nearly as bad as maybe some people made it out to be. And if you just look at some of his numbers... He's the greatest quarterback the Bears have ever had. And there's no argument. You know what? You can't disagree with that. There's no argument. People that think... That there is. Just look at who the Bears have ever had. Yeah, I mean, just look at some of the Jay numbers. Man, <laughs> Jim Miller. Come on, we know who the best guy is. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's beyond the numbers too, and it's just the eye test, if you want to call it that. I mean, he can he makes plays sometimes that other quarterbacks 
just aren't going to make. The way he can sling it, the hits he takes, the the way he can throw it down the field sometimes. The Hail Mary before half against Tampa Bay. I mean, he, that ball was 50-plus yards on the fly. Easy. Easy. I mean, he could have slung that 70 if he wanted yeah. to. Well, hey, look, I don't think any of us really expected the Bears to be that good this year. But what remains to be seen, what's next for Jay Keller's future? All right, now we're going to pick some games. Money Mitch Effect, Matt Zickis, Week 11. As is the norm on this week's show, we have a little contest where we pick a lock, a game closer than the experts think, and an upset. So, Matt, knowing that, what is your lock of this Week 11? Is it okay if I say the Patriots traveling to San Francisco? (laughs) Without Gronk? Without Gronk. To take out the 49ers, I mean... You could, if, whoever the 49ers are playing, you could have said them, and I'd been like, that's fine. I mean, I just think if you were going to look uh, at any of the games on the slate this week, you'd have to be crazy to think there was uh, a more likely winner than the Patriots traveling to San Francisco. Now, I personally look at the distance that teams have to travel and think sometimes that maybe that could impact the game, but it's more so when the West Coast teams travel to the East Coast and have to play an early game. But when the East Coast streams travel west and get to play in the afternoon, the later game doesn't bother me as much. And if there was any team that would not be an impact, it's the Patriots. So I think if you're going to look at a lock, it's got to be the Patriots over San Francisco. I mean, has there ever been a bigger lock? Yeah, you got Brady playing his first time ever in San Francisco. First time ever in San Francisco. It's almost like a home home game. God, I would be shocked. Just look at the rosters. Here's my here's my calculator. Anytime there's a team that I think an 0-10 Browns team could beat, which is only the Niners, <laughs> that's my team. That I think I'd feel confident that the Browns would win that game. And at, and with that reasoning, I don't see how the Patriots lose that game. Chip Kelly, you can say what you want about him as a head coach, but this roster is just not very good. Well, I think uh, your confidence in the Browns, it's uh, admirable, but I don't know, man. Oh, no one wants to watch that game. We don't have to worry about it. They should just play that game, you know, like Super Bowl weekend at, like, the the media day. Just have those two teams play. It would be pretty funny. I will tell you, I just want to say about the Browns, before things uh, got as bad as they did, I mean, I had... Which time? I mean, this season, this season, heading into this season, I wanted to believe that a healthy RG3 and a Terrell Pryor performing, basically, best-case scenario, Terrell Pryor... And maybe a maybe a competent running game, and uh, you know, had Gary the barnyard dog. I was kind of trying to believe. I was drinking the Kool Aid that maybe an RG three offense with uh, Gary Barnage, Isaiah Crowell, Duke Johnson, Terrell Pryor, maybe Josh Gordon doesn't get in trouble and things and yeah. work out. Like it's hard to think that you look at <laughs> that. Like maybe fair, just maybe. maybe the two real. I don't yeah. know. No, maybe I, just maybe, yeah. like, if the, they could have kept that crew together, things would have been a little different, but it's a shame to see how it's worked out. Yeah, I'm just numb to it at this point, but, hey, maybe there's a future there. If they can get the quarterback right next year. Maybe. Probably not. Hey, the 29th time's the I, charm. I refuse to pick Steelers over Browns as my lock for a lot of different reasons, most of them personal, even though that's probably where that game's Steelers going. is a team that has struggled against teams on the when the Steelers go on the road against bad teams that don't perform particularly well. Oh, you have to tell me in two thousand nine or ten, one of those years, one of Thursday night that's football's when they classic go. games where the yeah. Browns were one in ten, one in eleven, and they beat the Steelers and knocked them out of the playoffs, yeah. essentially. My lock, and I'm gonna go Kansas City over Tampa Bay at home. I really like this Chiefs team. I don't think Tampa Bay's good. 
I think last week was just your classic Bears meltdown. Chiefs against a bad team, a team that can push around on defense. Watch time of possession at the end of this game. Watch what Andy Reid can do to a team that can't stop the running game, can't stop the West Coast offense. I think the Chiefs cruise comfortably over a Tampa Bay team that's somehow still in the division hunt in the NFC South. The only thing that scares me about the Chiefs, and I would... I wouldn't call it a lock, but I definitely like the Chiefs over the Bucks in this one. But the only thing that scares me about the Chiefs, if you just look at the record, 7-2, and two, it sounds fantastic. But if you look at some of their wins, man, they are some tight Ws mm-hmm. that are coming from behind, deep in games that they have no business winning. That just does not seem like a sustainable route to success. They came, I think San Diego was one where they were point <laughs> 0.02% win chance, uh, pr- win probability. That wasn't adjusted for Mike McCoy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they came back and won there when they were down, what, 17-3 to the Panthers oh, last 17-0. week. 17-0. 17-zip on the road yeah. last week, and they came back and won. Like, they're winning some games that a lot of teams aren't going to win, and it's just, that is... It's great during the regular season. It gives you uh, uh, maybe some excitement as a fan, but over the course of a season, and especially in the playoffs, it's just not a sustainable route to winning. Uh, wow. So it's, you can only do that so many times. They need to start showing that they can get a lead early in games, maintain that lead, and pull it out. You cannot come from behind double two <laughs> touchdown uh, deficits every week. It's just you can't do it. Wow. Uh, but the one thing I do love about uh, the Bucks is Jameis Winston – I don't know what it is about the guy, but I just I feel like when you watch him, he's just he's got swagger. Maybe he's like he's just yeah. got a certain uh, feel about him when he's on the field. I love the way he slings the ball. I don't like the Bucks overall. It's just you know they don't have it. Overall, the Bucks, I like him as one of the teams maybe in the next five years. But Chiefs, I think that's a that's a. Yeah. Maybe not. I wouldn't call it a, a lock, but okay. I like the Chiefs. Okay. In this one. So now, who's your game that's closer? that everybody's thinking, a game that's going to be almost a nail-biter, if you will. I would have to go with the uh, the Packers and the Redskins in this one. The Redskins, hot team in the NFC East, but they just they don't do it for me. They don't no. do it for me at all. Uh, not buying the Cousins, Robert not buying Kelly, the, Jameson Crowder uh, no, trio. No, not, not buying it at all. <laughs> uh, they're not built for success over the long haul. Uh, especially in the NFC East, a t- uh, division where the Cowboys are steamrolling everyone in sight. If I want to compare them to the Giants, I just the Giants in that division are a team that just seems like they have more going for them, even though they've had to come from behind and now they've had some uh, sort of ugly Ws. I like their pieces a lot more, and if when it comes to crunch time, mm-hmm. I, I just don't I don't see Washington there. Yeah, I agree. And it's Green Bay. You got to win. This is it, Green Bay. We're waiting on you. This is probably your season. Well, and I would say this is a little bit, you know, this is a, a turning point for either of these teams because if the Redskins win this one, they're looking, they're in great shape in the division. But the Packers, it's so important. The Vikings have struggled in the last couple of weeks. The Lions are surging, but there's no reason to think whatsoever that they're a team that can continue winning at the clip they've been winning, especially in some of those tight games. And the Packers, you know, they've been there. It's a team with high expectations. It's Aaron Rodgers. We don't have to uh, go into all his struggles. It's like been one of the biggest stories, I feel like, over the last couple seasons. But he's still an elite quarterback. I mean, I don't think there's any argument there. And hey, they just picked up Kristen Michael. Ooh, yeah, man of a running game now. So uh, don't have to play a receiver at running back anymore. I would say I like the Packers in this game, 
as underdogs, and I like the Packers in that division overall. I mean, yeah, I just I, the Lions and the Vikings, uh, just neither one yeah. of those teams seem like they can gut this one out for another six weeks. The Packers, that's what they do. The Packers, for all their struggles, it's their division. It is, and I'll give you one for my close game of the week. I like a close contest between the Dallas Cowboys and the Baltimore Ravens. A division that somebody has to win, the AFC North, and a division in Baltimore's case that they're coming on. Look, they had the four-game losing streak, which anytime you lose four straight, it sucks and it's not ideal. But the way they were losing some of those games, how close it was, they, they pulled a classic fire the offensive coordinator trick. They're looking pretty good. I know they beat the Browns. But coming off nice of the Steelers ex- exhibition game last yeah, week. Yeah, a little you know. tune-up. Yeah. They have a pretty solid defense. I'm impressed there. And I think Baltimore can go into Dallas. I'm not sure they can steal this game, but I think they can definitely keep it close. Ravens is the league-leading defense, I believe. Yeah. See, I uh, didn't even know that. I'm just dropping knowledge. <laughs> the Cowboys are due for a stinker. That's the other thing. I really feel like they're it's due for a stinker. Uh, they've been too good. Too good. You can't have a, a rookie quarterback. Well, ben Roethlisberger went 15-1. and one. And that was an anomaly. It was, and we might be seeing another one. No, uh, I'm with you. I don't I don't understand it either, although Ezekiel, it might be this year's MVP as a and, rookie. And that's what it takes to have a team like the Cowboys <laughs> to perform the way they've had. It's just at 8-1 and one this point in the season to rely on two rookies to be that big of a proportion of your offense, it's kind of scary. Uh, when I think about guys like Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is the point of year where they're used to taking six weeks off before they play a yeah, national title game or, a, you know, a big bowl game. They're not used to just playing week after week after week and not getting any extended time off. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott was playing the national title game last year. Two years ago, yeah. Was, Two years ago. I mean... A big chunk of break this time of year, getting close to this time of year, where it's practice and it's going through... You know, walkthroughs and looking at playbooks, they're not accustomed to just pounding week after week after week. I like to believe that these are elite athletes and that's not going to play into it, uh, that that won't be an issue, that, you know, they've been going at it pretty hard since, basically since the Combine. I don't necessarily think the rookie wall, you know, is as big of a factor as maybe some people might think, but I do think... As these guys, especially coming from two big-time programs, uh, you know, Mississippi State and the SEC, call it a big-time program. It's still the SEC. He's playing tough teams. Uh, Playing tough teams. And then Zeke, obviously, Ohio State. They are not accustomed this time of year to being crunch time. I would not be surprised if... I'll call it an attitude readjustment, a game where, okay, yeah, we're not, exactly. you know, yes. a game that they don't perform an as eye well. Opener. An eye-opener. Okay, get some refocus. Not the worst thing in the world to happen. And, look, the Cowboys could be in a position where they could clinch some stuff up pretty early. So they might have the luxury to rest these guys late. And I don't know. You could be right here. But we'll have to see. So, man, take this on the money, Mitch Effect. Time for your upset pick. My upset pick, and go. to me, this is not an upset at all. To the people who decide <laughs> that it's an upset, I'm gonna. I, I like the Titans going to Indianapolis, getting the quote-unquote upset. Three-point underdogs. I don't know how this works either. Although Indy did beat Green Bay two weeks ago, but then Green Bay loses. Ah, I'm with you. You like the Titans here? Though. I like the I Titans a lot. And I liked the Titans heading into the season a lot. I was a huge Marcus Mariota fan last how, season. How is this guy? No interceptions in the red zone in his career. How? 
I think he's just a guy who kind of gets overshadowed for a couple reasons. One, he's not extremely flashy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a guy, when he gets on the run, he opens eyes and turns heads and he makes some nice throws, but he plays in a smaller market in a team that doesn't get a lot of headlines, in a division that doesn't get a lot of headlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you look at the Titans, and I love their their playmakers, I mean, Marcus Mariota and DeMarco Murray, I mean, what can you say? I mean, when they get going uh, and when Mariota is on, to me, they seem just, I don't want to say unstoppable, but I mean, it's scary. I would love to see if they can keep some of these pieces together over the next couple of years and get some strong drafting, maybe sign a couple of key for agents. I love the Titans in the future. And DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry, wow. if they can figure out, get the, the right amount of carries between those two guys and, of course, continue developing Derrick Henry. He's shown some major flashes as a guy who could be a serious playmaker. There's no reason to think the Titans in the future can't be yeah. uh, an offensive force. Get Mariota some receivers because he's looking. He needs out. receivers. Get him some more, and we'll. See. I love Delaney Walker. When he gets <laughs> Delaney Walker the ball, I mean, yeah. he's fantastic. Murray uh, and Henry, you're right. They could work together in the same backfield and both be effective. What Murray's done has been phenomenal. Look, if the Colts win this game, I'm not going to be too shocked because it's the AFC South and no team really is ultra impressive. But yeah, if you're looking for that trendy upset pick, why can't the Tennessee Titans go into Indy? and avenge their loss earlier this year at home. My upset pick, I thought about Jacksonville over Detroit. Detroit. This would be a very Lions-y game to lose at home. They've been on a hot streak. To Blake Bortles and company. But meanwhile, the Jags have looked like... Death. About as bad as you <laughs> could look. I mean, they just have not been good. This just... If, if the Lions are going to lose a game when everything seems to be going their way, this would be the one. It's a down week for upsets, so I'm going to go with one. That might not be the biggest upset. The line opened a, a little wider than it is now. But I like Buffalo going into Cincinnati and winning that game. The Bengals, and look, I thought they could make a deep run, possibly even to the Super Bowl this year. The Bengals are a front-running team. You can see they're they're starting to check out defensively. I like the Bills. The Bills went to Seattle and played their hearts out. Could have Could have easily won that game. I'm not sure the Bills have a run left in them to the playoffs, but I think they can definitely go into Cincinnati and beat this wounded, kind of unmotivated Cincinnati team. I like the Bills a lot, just as a whole. That was even T-Mobile just going into the season. McCoy. Yeah. I think Tyrod Taylor is the one Ryan of the Ryan most... brothers on a, on one bike. The Ryan brothers, Lashawn McCoy, uh, Tyrod Taylor, the defense. I'm pretty sure the Bills lead the league in sacks. Tyrod Taylor, I think, is one of the most entertaining players to watch in all of football. I love when he is on and uh, moving around, getting out of the pocket. He's electrifying. I love seeing him on the run. I love seeing him sling it. And I, I just, I like when there's guys who can uh, uh, kind of get it done both ways, like a Russell Wilson type of guy who you never know who can sling it as well as anybody, but they can also get it done with the feet. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, especially a guy like Tyrod Taylor who was buried on the depth chart for many seasons in Baltimore before he got any chance Mm -hmm. to be a starter. To see him come from sort of out of nowhere and do what he's done, it's amazing. The Bills going into Cincinnati, I don't think there's any reason they can't win that game. Cincinnati, probably one of the more disappointing teams in the league this year. Uh, Sad almost because you feel <laughs> bad for, with the way their season ended last year and thinking yeah, that yeah I feel so bad for Vontaze. Well, you're Burfecht. not. You don't feel bad but because you're Burfecht, from Ohio. But and perfect you, and just, no, I see what you're saying. <laughs> the way it went down, that team. Well, I just look at you know the pieces they had and 
the division seemed to be moving. Like a lot of people look at Pittsburgh and and look at them as one of the the tougher teams to beat. And I just I don't see it. I mean, I the offense has been sort of inconsistent. Ben Roethlisberger's beat up. The defense is all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the vibe is sort of that it's their division to lose, and I don't get that. I see no reason that you know it should be handed to Pittsburgh. The offense, when it's on, is as good as any in the league, but they've shown that they're not untouchable and they're not, uh, it's not their division. I just, I don't, I'm not sold on the Steelers as, as much as it seems like a lot of other people are. There's a lot of bad football this year. The AFC North is winnable for these teams, but no one is going and taking it. And we could be, Matt, looking at two, three playoff team divisions. One in each conference. It's very, very possible. A- AFC West. Well, I think it's almost a lock in the AFC West. <laughs> yeah. And in the AFC West, it's more, you're looking at four very good teams. I think the Chargers are criminally underrated because of how they blow those like How games. they've blown <laughs> some of these games. But, I mean, God, they are just one of the scariest offensive teams. When they are clicking on offense, It's they're unbeatable. Uh, it's just they haven't been able to, to close these games out. So when you look at that division... Scary good. I mean, you could put the Chargers in a lot of other uh, divisions across the league, and they'd be extremely competitive. I, they would love to be in the AFC South right now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> they would jump at it. Well, And I wanted to ask you what your uh, philosophy, your data for you know measuring how far teams travel when it involves going to Mexico, how that's going to work out for Monday night's game. The Raiders, as favorites, I, I don't like Houston. I think they just beat up on bad teams, but... Okay, Oakland, you're legit now. Let's see Let's see what you got for being a real contender now that you're on national radar. The Monday night game, it'll be a good test. I think uh, the elevation is a factor that has maybe been a little understated. Uh, I think the last I heard, these teams weren't going to be traveling until the weekend. Estadio Azteca in Mexico City is at 7,200 feet. That's a pretty significant elevation. <laughs> it's 2,000 feet higher than mile high. You always hear about teams when they have to go to Denver dealing with the elevation, well, this is another 2,000 feet. I'd be interested to see what kind of uh, impact that's going to have. I don't know if it could make Brock Osweiler play any worse. To (laughs) win a game last week, he threw two touchdowns. He had 99 yards passing. think, luckily for him, he was playing the Jags. But I think this is actually a good game for the Raiders. It's it's sort of the perfect opportunity to go in primetime game, big stage, international game, you're playing a 6-3 and three Texans team that maybe the record uh, doesn't necessarily indicate the level that the Texans have played this year because it has not necessarily been very pretty. It just seems like this is a good opportunity to them, for them to go in and beat a team that they should beat in front of a national audience on a big stage. But at the same time, it also seems like the type of game they would just lose. Yeah, I'm intrigued. It's the NFL and we're not really sure what direction we're going to go in. We expect the Raiders to put on a show, but yeah, they could they could drop it. The Texans D is no joke, and Oakland's D, while better, not exactly a shutdown defense. If they get a lead, though, that changes the game. You get teams forced to play catch-up. We saw with Denver. It is uh, the team averaging the fewest yards per play on offense against the team giving up the most yards per play on defense. So uh, <laughs> the Texans... Have not so would been, that be would that be the movable force versus the the uh, movable object? I guess yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Except except people like the Raiders and they have zero faith in the Texans. Wow. 
Now, you had mentioned there's two divisions that could get three teams into the playoffs. I think there is a big difference between what we see in the AFC West with the Chiefs, Raiders, and uh, Broncos, and the NFC East with the Cowboys, Giants, and Redskins. The Chiefs, Raiders, and Broncos, I think a lot of people look at those teams and they feel pretty good, even though the Raiders are sort of uh, up and coming. The Chiefs and Broncos are teams mm-hmm. over the last couple of years that have shown they can compete. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs, especially, 17-2. and two in their last 19 games going back to last season. Wow. Again, what I'd mentioned earlier is that some of those wins, very ugly. <laughs> very ugly. Hideous looking. Maybe like one on a scale of 10. Zero. No 10s there. No. A couple ones, couple twos. Couple some very of, ugly some wins. Threes, yeah. couple very ugly wins. <laughs> Maybe some threes. Now, when I look at the NFC East, though, I don't look at it the same way. I mean, I think the Cowboys, if their young guys can continue performing, there's no reason to think they're not going to run away with that division. But the Giants... Giants have had some tough come-from-behind wins. The Redskins have had some sloppy wins. So who would that team be to get that spot? That would be my follow-up to that. Is there a team in any of the other divisions that you say, yep, this is the team that's going to make that run at that second wild card? It's not coming out of the South. (laughs) So are we saying the Cardinals are going to bounce back? It's not coming out of the South enough. I think if it came out of the West, I mean, it would rely on the Cardinals probably making a run. The Seahawks are the favorites there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I like the Seahawks a lot. If I was going to pick a team in the NFC overall, it would have to be the Seahawks. I like them a lot more than the Cowboys, a lot more. Uh, the North, I think, has the most, the best chance of stealing one of those wildcard spots away from the NFC. But I don't know. The Packers, like I had mentioned earlier, I still think it's their division to win. Whether that's the Lions or the Vikings, that I don't know. I don't. If I had to pick between, it would probably be the Lions because they seem to have more of their stuff together. The the Vikings. The defense has had some troubles the last couple weeks. They have zero running game. <laughs> zero uh, running game, zero receivers. Sam Bradford. Yeah, it's hard for me to invest in that. Well, and part of their problems on offense is creating their problems on defense. You know, it's interesting. If you want to look at the Vikings and sort of compare them to the Cowboys a little bit, part of the reason the Cowboys have been so successful is because Ezekiel Elliott is churning the clock, keeps the defense on the field a lot mm-hmm. less. The Vikings have zero running game whatsoever. It leaves a lot more time on the clock. The defense is out there more. They get winded quicker. They have to exert themselves more. A lot more is being asked of them because their offense mm-hmm. can't burn more time off the clock. It's been oh. as great as a runner as Ezekiel Elliott has been. He's also been a major asset to the defense because they don't have to be on the field as long. And for a defense that a lot wasn't really expected out of, the exact opposite in Minnesota, you couldn't give them a better gift as a running back, than churning that clock because they don't have to be out there very much. You know, Minnesota, they have zero running game, and the defense, we're starting to see, they're getting tired, they're winded, they, they're out there too much. Yeah, I, I think, look, we're going to be finding out a lot about a lot of these teams. <clears throat> Dallas set themselves up good. It's always good to give yourself that cushion because we're getting to crunch time, and this is when the upsets happen and we could see a lot of jostling for those last Adrian spots. Peterson's doing some jogging. You know, we don't know. He could, wow. uh, if Ridiculous and when he could back. come back and uh, make any sort of impact whatsoever for Minnesota, would be very interesting. But the Minnesota Vikings fairy tale from the first five <laughs> weeks of the season. Is, that was is such a fairy tale. Definitely uh, had a little bit of a nightmare next chapter. Wow. They're five and over five and four. Well, look. Man, it was great having you on talking football. This was fun. Chicago sports as well. We go into week 11 now. This is where you know, I'm excited. It's to crunch see time, man. We got six weeks left. We got Thanksgiving coming yeah. up. We got, yeah, man, this is, 
This is good, and I know you guys are doing big things over at NFL Network, getting us ready for all this football that we're going to consume. Super Bowl 51, man. It's uh, it's coming up before you know hey, it. Where is that this year? Houston, NRG Stadium down uh, in Houston. Okay. All right, yeah, we'll see. Maybe, you know, I don't think it'll be you know, Brock Osweiler there. So You know, I was out there last year, Brock Osweiler, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, at Super Bowl 50 with Peyton Manning, Brock Osweiler on the yeah. sidelines. Maybe not the most exciting game this year. I think... The dream scenario would sort of be... I know what that is, New England and Dallas. It's New England and Dallas. I don't think there's any question. If they can find a way to make that happen, man. Yeah, and I think it'd be more exciting. A lot of storylines, a lot of subplots. I got to give props to last thing before we go. Tony Romo handled this business very respectfully. And I think he took a bullet for the team because you know how the media is. He would have never... My only... Thing about that Tony Romo press conference, and it was, you know, interesting. I would tell you that uh, when that came on, it was a little bit of a surprise. We were all sitting in the newsroom over uh, NFL Digital Media, and, uh, you know, we saw, oh, hey, Tony Romo's coming on. We all knew he was coming on. And then I saw the tweets all coming in that, oh, he's going to read a prepared statement. Yeah. And everyone was like, what? It's kind of strange. That's, you know, it's true. It's strange. I just think, I think he wanted to just get one thing off his we'll chest. And it so, was really to protect Dak because Dak's the guy that this sort of all came So up. my only issue with that whole thing, and it was great, I loved everything he said, I don't think anyone could find mm-hmm. an issue with anything that Tony Romo said there, was how much of that was truly 100% from Tony Romo. Because yeah. I find it hard to believe that it wasn't from the front office or maybe, you know, somebody in PR, like, who knows? Like, I want to believe that that was 100% st- Tony's idea, he's like said, no, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go to the podium and I'm going to read this statement that I wrote myself. I want to believe that. It's just, I, I don't know. I, I think feel it like, was vetted, yeah. If it's a prepared statement. To a degree, <laughs> I feel like it was, you know, sort of coordinated uh, to help maybe calm things down a little bit because I will tell you, over the last like six weeks, it's just like, what are they going to do? What's it going to be? Is Tony coming back? You know, who makes the decision? I mean, we all know what the decision is. They're not going to bring him back. So it was nice for him to make such a definitive statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I want to believe that that was uh, 100% from the heart of Tony Romo. Hey, you know, ghostwriters and, and yeah, we'll have to just uh, hope for the best there. But it was uh, it was good to just have some closure on that nagging issue. Yeah, it yeah, it was, it was good. All in all, good, well, Matt, uh, good well, Matt, on Tony. It was a fun time having you on the show. Glad you could come by Thank and talk you very sports. Much. We're you. gonna have to get you back here Thank you for sometime having. soon and uh, keep it going. You know, maybe maybe Skype you in from Super Bowl uh, 51. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, down in uh, Houston. Oh, H Town. Zeke and uh, Tom Brady going head to head. Oh yeah, what could be better <laughs> than that? Well, thanks again, man, for coming on the show. Thank you. Really enjoyed that conversation with Matt Sickes of the NFL Network. Very sharp football mind, very passionate Chicago guy. And I think his White Sox might be better a little quicker than he thinks. I know you're always clouded by your fanhood, but I think they could be better in the near future. We shall see. All right, now it's time to talk to Chris Scruggs. Chris and I have been friends for a very long time. College classmates, radio show hosts together. Chris is as good as it gets when it comes to talking NBA. We'll dive into that as well as some football talk at the end and looking at the little college basketball, one player in particular out of the St. Louis area. All that and more, here's Chris Scruggs now on the Money Mitch Effect. So I'm now joining the show, very special guest, blessed from my past, 
Chris Scruggs. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. It's been way too long since we talked sports on the show. Yes, it has been way too long. Thanks for inviting me. For everybody that doesn't know our backstory, Chris, we went to St. Louis University together, St. Class, started a radio show on their airwaves. Coming up on nine years since we started that show. I mean, it's hard to believe it's been that long. Yeah, it's definitely hard to believe, and I definitely miss talking on the radio. I haven't spoke to an audience in so long. I'm just trying to get back acclimated at the moment, but we had a blast. We had a blast. Uh, we did. We had the we had an audience, and we had uh, a lot of a lot of talented people to cover nationally and locally in the St. Louis area. As you were bringing up before we got on, Chris, there's a lot of talent in college and in the high school scene around us. Oh yes, for sure. St. Louis at the time when we were doing our show, we had a few high school standouts, and we also had a few college standouts at St. Louis University. So there definitely was talent including the NBA, and the NFL, and MLB as well. Oh, yeah, and speaking of the NBA, that was right in our wheelhouse, one of our favorite sports to cover on the show. A lot's changed in the time that we last signed off, 2011, now to now, over five years later. With the 2016 season about a month in, what's been, I guess, Chris, the most impressive thing with you, what you've seen from some of these teams as the season's just getting underway? I think the most impressive thing would probably have to be the parity. I think the teams that were bad last year are the teams that were expected to be bad. As a team, even if some of them records doesn't show, I think those teams improved Mm -hmm. this year. Just going and teams I'm talking about are the Lakers and the 76ers. Even though they are two and nine, they're looking like a good team. It's looking like they're gelling and meshing. And I would even say the Oklahoma City Thunder. At first, I thought they weren't going to be a playoff team. Now, they're looking like they might be in the mix and in the fight for the playoffs this year. So, I think it's looking up the NBA in general and as a whole. Yeah, and I know that the Lakers were one of the teams that you were going to bring up as a Laker fan. I wanted to just kind of describe it to you as well. Like, with the Clippers being in town, as good as they've been the last couple of years, playoff success not included, of course. But this is a Laker town, and just the fact that they've gotten back to being competitive. I know last year, Kobe's final year, uh, some turmoil in the front office. But with Luke Walton at the helm, with some of these young players, this is a team that's got people talking. I don't know how good they'll be at the end of this season, but long term, you got to admit the future looks very bright. Yes, the future does look very bright. And I think it started with the end of the Kobe era. Over the past three years, they had three top five, top ten draft picks. They picked up Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell, and this year Ingram. And those were all talented players. And on top of Kobe leaving the team this year, I think the team in general and as a whole, they're just having more fun playing together. But the biggest reason I think for the change is Luke Walton. I think with Luke Walton coming to the team and implementing a free-flowing offense, similar to the offenses you see in uh, Golden State, in mm-hmm. San Antonio, and even in Atlanta. I think implementing that offense with the talent he has on the team, I think that mixed with Kobe being going is the biggest reason for the Lakers having this much success early in the season. Right, they just don't look like they fear teams like they did last year. You see that with a lot of bad teams where they go into games and they don't have any confidence. Every time the Lakers have played, even you know beating the Warriors again this year, 
they feel very yeah. confident that they can compete and beat any team on any given night. Now, there's going to be growing pains. I don't know that they make the playoffs this year, but it's reasonable to think that they could, which if we were going to have this conversation six months ago, it would be a far cry. Yes, and it would have been a far cry six months ago. But the biggest difference, as I was mentioning earlier, I think the confidence comes in, came in when Luke Walton came in, implemented his system, and I think he put his players in the right position to succeed. And I also think that Ingram is better than I thought he would have been this year, even though he was coming off the bench early in the season. I think he looks good. I think he makes plays. And I like the fact that Luke Walton puts him at the point guard position. Yeah, Luke Walton is very is full of these little wrinkles that makes the team look a little better. And Ingram playing some point guard, Russell getting to explode off the ball. This is a fun team and going to be something to watch. You know, speaking of fun teams and, and how the NBA is going, we've seen a lot of numbers, Chris. We've seen a lot of statistical uh, breakout performances one month into the season. But if you had to pick one, it makes you say wow the most, what you're most impressed by. Who would that be? Which one player has had the best start, in your opinion, of the season? In my opinion, I think it would have to be James Harden. I know his team is 6-5, and five, but at the moment he's averaging 28.7 points, 12.6 assists, and 7.8 rebounds. I think wow. moving, sliding him over to the point guard position, I think that automatically, as this season proves, made him one of the top point guards in the league. I would even argue top five. Of course, he's top five, maybe mm-hmm. even top three or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just, I don't know. I mean, I like D'Antoni as a, as a coach, but was this that big of a groundbreaking move to put him to the point guard? You, you had to figure that if this would have happened he would earlier, he would have still been a very productive player. And I agree. I think Pardon is, has had as good a start to the season as anybody. I worry about that team, though. Because you're seeing it, right? Like, he puts up these numbers, he dominates games, and they're still just above 500. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you. I didn't expect the team to be that good. I expected them to make the playoffs, but honestly, I didn't expect them to make make it past the first round. So I think the only difference with putting Harden at the point guard position and starting him better off at the game, I think it would improve his individual statistics and make him a more efficient player. So that was the biggest difference I thought I would see this year. Yeah, I, I'm very impressed with what Harden's doing. I want to get your take on somebody else, though. The current leading scorer in the NBA, Chris, at 33.3 points a game, DeMar DeRozan. Now, we knew he could play. We weren't sure that this was possible as he you know, has progressed mm-hmm. in his NBA career. I think I'm most impressed by the fact that he's doing this largely inside the three-point line. Yeah, I was watching DeMar DeRozan play yesterday when they played the Golden State Warriors, and I was very impressed with his mid-range game. It somewhat reminds me of Kobe, and I always thought DeMar DeRozan had a little Kobe in his game because he he has always liked to play within the mid-range. But he's looking deadly efficient this year from the mid-range. Yeah, he's a player, and while the Raptors, I don't know if they can get back to the Eastern Conference Finals, if he keeps playing like this, they're going to be a threat and they're going to be a problem each and every night in the NBA. And, I mean, look, if we're talking impressive starts of the year, we have to bring up what Russell Westbrook's doing. The team is on his back now, but he's the only guy in the NBA in the top two in both points and assists. What Westbrook's doing, I don't know how sustainable it is. I don't know what the team success looks like, but you knew that he had to come off 
you had a feeling that he was going to come and hit the ground running after what went down in the offseason. Yes, and I definitely thought Westbrook was going to play the same way he has always played. I did expect him to get close to a triple-double. I'm not quite sure if he will average that for the year, but it definitely has been impressive. They started off fast, but recently they've been 500 over the past six games. So I don't know if he'll be able to sustain it, and he definitely has the team on his back. But I think since it's just him, he has to find a way to get Oliver Depot more involved in the games and more in tune with the team. Yeah, that's always been the question with Westbrook getting his assists, but it's more so you got to look past the numbers of the decision-making in crunch time when he does have to get his team involved. But offensively, man, he can go with anybody, and I've always respected the fact that he is a fearless player, and the moment will never get too big for him because he's always ready and willing to play. But one last thing, before we move on to some of these teams, Chris, uh, other uh, teams at the top of the NBA, there's another guy that's been very impressive, although his team is not. What's your sense of what Anthony Davis is doing in New Orleans? And does he have any chance of getting some help around him? I almost feel bad for him at this point. Uh, he has some help. They have a few players who are hurt. I think two of his starters are hurt at the moment. But enough help to contend. I don't think he will ever get that much help in New Orleans. They're still a fairly new franchise. I think he just needs to either wait out this contract and move as soon as the contract is over, mm-hmm. or I've been hearing rumors that he possibly might demand a trade. I don't know. I would hate to see him playing at such a high level and spend his whole time in New Orleans and never get any help. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, it's hard to fault anybody but but him for signing that extension. He got paid. He took the money in New Orleans, but I don't think he thought the world would crumble around him. It's just too bad to see because of how well he's individually playing that the team's just, you know, not quite there. Talking NBA basketball with Chris Scruggs on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, I want to get your take now, Chris, on the Golden State Warriors. They lose in the finals last year. Everybody knows what happened from there. Kevin Durant's on Golden State. The team projected, rightfully so, to be a championship contender. We've gotten to that point now, I think faster than some would have thought, Chris, where they fit in They've ironed out some of the details, and now you see a Durant and Steph Curry run offense. Are there levels of this offense that we should be waiting to see? Is it possible they can get even more better as the season goes on with two of the best players in the same backcourt? Oh, for sure. I definitely think they can get better as the season goes on. Right now, I think the team is still figuring. Kevin Durant is still learning how to fit in with this team. And not only did they gain Kevin Durant, but they also lost five players last year, two starters and a few mm-hmm. players off their bench. So I just think the team, the team needs to get more acclimated with the new pieces on the team. And as a whole, I think they will get better. I think they will start realizing this is my spot, this is where I should shoot, and realizing this is when I should pass. And I think they will finally learn how to gel together. And I think the biggest thing with the Steph Durant dynamic, Chris, is that they're both actually, when you break it down, some unselfish players, and they have experience playing, maybe not with players as good as their counterpart, but pretty close. I think the fact that Steph's not, quote-unquote, the selfish ball hog type, that he's willing to let Durant dominate when he takes over a game. And, And on the flip side, when Steph gets into one of his hot shooting streaks, I think Durant's willing to let him go. That's a very underrated component of this dynamic. I don't think they're necessarily going to be fighting over the ball too much. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I have watched pretty much every Warriors game this year, and what I have noticed is 
one, Steph and Kevin Durant could be extremely efficient in the same games and score 30 with 20 shots, 21 Scary. shots. And it just seems like there's no tension on the team. If Steph Curry is taking wild threes and hitting them, Durant is okay with that. If Durant is going off, Steph Curry is okay with that. The biggest thing I saw early in the season was I didn't know if Clay Thompson was fitting in with the big three as much as he did last year when he was the second option. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair question, and you could see that he's not playing at his best right now. But part of that, too, and this is where it can be misleading in the media, but I think part of that is he's just not knocking down shots that he normally makes. I think that will correct itself. I don't think he's getting froze out or phased out of the offense. But I think if he gets on, he's always been a great defender. If he can improve his shooting percentages, this is a dangerous team. And I think what's the most scary, Chris, is that Draymond Green is settling into his role of being more of a facilitator, doing all the little things, not trying to score 20, 30 points a night. He accepts that role, and who knows what the potential is for this team. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you. I think this team's only weakness is finding some length in the middle. Mm-hmm. They have JaVale McGee, but at times JaVale McGee could get lost on the court. So I think <laughs> yeah. the biggest loss to the team was Bowden. They need a player with some length who can just defend the rim, play smart, and watch the back line. Other than that, I think this team would be fine. Yeah, it's uh, it's something to cons- to consider what they do if they do need- feel they need to address the size inside, but it's Golden State. They have all that talent. I do agree. I think they will be fine. And last night's game against Toronto really illustrated that. What's your thought now on the next best team, Chris, in the in the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Clippers, record-wise? I've only lost two games on the season, but do you think, you know, honestly, do you think this is the year they get to a conference final? Uh, I think it's hard to say. The Clippers have done this before, played good in the regular season went on win streaks, this and that. But once the playoffs came, I don't want to make excuses, but either they got hurt or they just couldn't get it done. So I think the Clippers having any success in a regular season is meaningless. I think they (laughs) will be judged once they reach the playoffs in the postseason. Yeah, we still have our same doubts with this team, with what they can or can't do. All the respect in the world for Chris Paul. I think if Blake Griffin's healthy, that's maybe the biggest thing, is him getting through the season healthy and peaking at the playoffs. But you do wonder about the bench. You wonder about that fifth starter alongside DeAndre Jordan, J.J. Redick, who is going to be the fifth guy for them. You know, I don't know. It's funny because there are a lot of teams that, other than the Warriors, that we're wondering who's next up. It could very well be the Clippers on a talent level, but... In a seven-game series, I think it's too early to tell now what they're going to be capable of. And, and again, you know, they're, they're a team that everybody's getting older. They pretty much push their chips to the middle of the table. I just don't know how much longer they're going to pursue serious title aspirations with just the same core. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think this team is breaking up next year if they don't win this year, win it all this year. And... Uh. You mentioned a seven-game series. That's my biggest issue with the Clippers. I think in a seven-game series, I don't know if Blake's offensive post-game is polished enough to sustain in a close game in a seven-game series. And Chris Paul is only six feet, so you can't ask him to do it all when the games get close in a seven-game series. So I think that would be their biggest issue. we we'll have to wait to see what they do in the postseason. Showing that the Western Conference Finals is a big L in my eyes. Yeah, and they haven't made it that far 
in their history. So we'll see if that changes this year. A lot riding on that. And real quickly, Chris, what other teams in the West do you think could potentially challenge uh, Golden State? Is there anybody else outside of the top two, maybe that we haven't mentioned, you think could give Golden State a serious run? Of course there's a team we haven't mentioned, and I'm surprised you haven't. I was there's waiting. Spurs. <laughs> I was waiting. Yeah, played on the first night, beat them by 29. I think the Spurs match up with the length. And as I mentioned earlier, the Golden State Warriors' weakness is length in the middle. And the Spurs exposed that when they played them on opening night, beating them by 29. I think Paul Gasol, Lamarcus Aldridge, and even Kyrie Leonard to an extent, they just had their way in the paint. So I think the Spurs could, could challenge the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals and even possibly beat them. From what I've seen so far in this season. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because I do think that the Spurs might have a bad matchup against the Clippers and maybe a better matchup against the Warriors. So it's always funny to see how that goes. I'm a little hesitant to put the Spurs in that class even with that win over Golden State because I know Golden State will be peaking by the end of the year. If Aldridge plays well and if Gasol still has some legs left, yeah, you're absolutely right. They could expose the weakness in the middle, which... You know, it's funny, too, because Gasol, what we've seen out of him, and the underrated part of his game, as you know from L.A., is on the defensive side. So if he can, you know, be some length in the middle, that could bode well for the Spurs' chances. But I'm, I'm hopeful, too. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, this is another guy we haven't really talked about yet. I think he's vaulting himself higher and higher up the pecking order of NBA players, and this is another year for him to compete against the best and see where he stacks up. Yeah, I definitely agree. On the defensive side of the ball, best defender in the league, and on the offensive side of the ball, since joining the Spurs, he's drastically improved. He improved his three-point shot, his mid-range, driving to the rim, handling the ball, so I just like how his future is looking at the moment. And they got that Popovich guy behind the bench, you know, he's good for a couple good coaching adjustments that could swing some games that we saw all the way to a couple NBA titles, so who knows. Talking with sure. talking sure. with Chris Scruggs on the Money Mitch effect. I want to talk in the East right now. And right now, the Cavs, with two losses, defending champs, are at the top of the conference. Chris, we figured that they would again be the class of the Eastern Conference. They've looked very good to start the season. Just how dominant, in your opinion, is this team? Oh, when you compare the Cavs to the rest of the East, I think it's a foregone conclusion that they will be in the Eastern Conference Finals and not only the Eastern Conference Finals, but the NBA Finals. I think with LeBron James being the best, or in my opinion, maybe second, top two best player in the league, 1A, 1B, and having a sidekick in Kyrie Irving, I think they'll be unstoppable compared to any other team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, the best thing that the Cavs could have done was get out to this early start because what they're going to start, in my opinion, I think it only makes sense for them to start wrestling like we saw last night with LeBron not playing. They get they get the lead. They can rest their guys for the stretch run, which is why I don't know that LeBron is going to be a serious MVP candidate this year because they're not going to need to play him down the stretch. But you're right. I mean, this is a dominant team. Uh, they have Kyrie coming into his own on more ways than a lot of people thought. J.R. Smith is still shooting the ball at a high clip. Tristan Thompson is, is an X-Factor inside. And they're getting Kevin Love to play like the guy that they hoped he would when they traded for him. So there's a lot to like about this team. But I ask you about Kyrie Irving. Where does he rank in your opinion of NBA point guards? Because he's been getting progressively better along the way. He's outplayed some great ones on his way to a first championship. 
Where would you put Kyrie in the point guard packing order? Uh, I think you would have to do two different rankings. If you're looking at Kyrie carrying a team to the playoffs, I think he would be a little lower. But in a seven-game series, I think Kyrie is a top three point guard in my opinion. Yep. I think it could be an argument made for him to be the number one point guard if we're basing it off who would you take in a seven-game series. And the reason I say this is because what he did in the finals and He's been doing this his whole career, but Kyrie can close out games against anybody. He could close out a game. If a game is close, he could close out a game. He could get you a win. And I think that is very valuable in a seven-game series because so many of those games, especially once you get to the finals, come down to crucial stretches or they might come down to the last five minutes. And in the last five minutes, I don't know if there's one point guard I would take over Kyrie Irving in my opinion. Right. I think offensively speaking, he's as good as anybody in the league, total package. You do run the question of can he lead a team on his own. You know, he's never really done that. LeBron came and he hasn't had to do that. But as a closer, as a scorer, I don't know if there's anybody that can compare to him. But, yeah, the whole package, I agree. Two separate rankings would be the best way to describe his impact. Want to see him, though, Chris, play a full season. It's we still haven't seen that yet. I think an 82-game Kyrie is the scariest of all, and we simply just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, and I hope he could do it this year. He's still fairly young. I think he's only 24 or 25, one in the two. So hopefully he's still growing in or has grown into his body and, you know, take slightly better care of himself and stay healthy. Do you now think that, getting back to some of these other Eastern Conference teams, the team that's right on the Cavs' heels at the first month same in the loss column. The Atlanta Hawks, are they a legit contender? You know, last year they fall down the pecking order. They win a first-round series, get swept out of the playoffs by the Cavs, but they add Dwight Howard. They turn the offense over at the point guard position. Is this a legit team in the East? I think they're a legit team to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think it'll be between either Toronto or the Hawks playing the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals. But as far as making them a legit contender to make it to the NBA Finals, I just don't think they have enough to get past the Cavaliers. But the biggest thing I like about the the Hawks is their coach, and I like the system they run. They run a similar system like Golden State and San Antonio, and it's a free-flowing offense, so you really don't have to worry about who's going to take the last shot. And they also have talent on the team, so I think they can make some noise, but I just don't see them getting past the Cavaliers. It's funny. It's funny you say that about the coach because Coach Bud, who, and all those teams you mentioned, Kerr, Bud, they both worked under San Antonio, under Pop. You know, I agree. They play that free-flowing offense. The signing of Dwight Howard, I was, I was a little wrong here. I, I think that was great for them because what it did was it shirt up their middle. They don't need him to be a scorer. What it did was it allowed Millsap to play outside on the perimeter where he can knock down shots, and it really opened up their offense. And... I'll ask you this. I think we're getting to a point now where Dennis Schroeder, the point guard out of Germany for the Hawks, he might be, we're at the point, but he might be an upgrade over Teague. It's possible. He's played very well, and, you know, there's a lot to like about him at that position. Yeah, I think he just runs the point guard position better than Teague. I saw Teague more as a scoring point guard. Yeah. He could run a point from here and there, but his main focus was scoring. What I like about Schroeder, I think he knows when to score. Yeah, they're going to be an interesting team to watch. I do agree with you. The coaching advantage is 
something that we haven't really considered too much. And one last thing on the Eastern Conference. Do you look at Boston and Indiana, those two teams? Are, are we Can we put them into the class of Atlanta or Toronto? Or, or do you think they'll underachieve? And I bring up Boston because they've started out slow, but they invested a lot of money in free agency this year. I don't know if I would say they're as good as Toronto or the Hawks. They're definitely not as good as the Cavaliers. But what I will say is I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season, under Brad Stevens, if the Celtics weren't just as good as the Hawks mm-hmm. or Toronto for that case. So I think we would just have to wait to the end of the year to tell on the Celtics, to see where the Celtics are and to see how they're gelling and to see if everything comes together. I think that's true. they got to get healthy. they got to figure out what their identity is on offense. But Brad Stevens is as good a coach as there is in the league. I think he'll figure it out. And the Pacers, Chris, I've always been a Paul George fan. I think we share that common ground. I want to see this team in March, you know, at the end of the season. Because they've signed a lot of pieces, they re-alter their system to fit around him at that stretch four position. I'm not sure it's going to work, but I want to see how it looks in a couple months. Yeah, and as far as the Pacers goes, I think they have a lot of names on their team. But I don't necessarily know if that team will ever gel like the other teams, like the Hawks and like Mm -hmm. the Celtics and like Toronto and the Cavs. I think it's really Paul Joyce around with a lot of names. I think they have athletic players and they have length, but as far as offense goes, I don't know if they'll be able to jail well enough. It's true. And uh, the last team I want to talk about in the East, man, and <laughs> we, you know, we follow this team for a couple different reasons, Chris, but what's wrong? What's gone wrong in the nation's capital with the Washington Wizards? Oh, man. I, I was just talking to a friend about this the other day, and I hate to say it, but I think Brad Bill needs to step it up. I think he got the big contract this year. He's still having his health issues. He can't stay on the court, you know. He get banged up here and there, and I think the $100 million man, I think he needs to pick it up slightly. Doesn't look like the shooter that we saw in high school and college. He's still a good shooter, but I wouldn't put him in the class of Steph or Clay. And on a defensive end, sometimes he gets beat by his man. So I don't know if that's due to injuries or what, but or I don't know if it's due to gelling with John Wall. But I think the biggest issue, in my opinion, is Brad Bill hasn't played like a franchise player so far. Yeah, it's tough, man. I'm with you because I, I also root for him as well, having followed him all the way through high school and all the way in through College of Florida into the pros. But... Yeah, he has to stay on the court. We talked about this earlier that earlier this week that Bradley Beal, his injury thing, is the main skepticism with him. Maybe it is gelling with John Wall. There's a lot more money invested in Beal than Wall at the moment. And, look, I, I don't know, man. I don't know if they're gelling or not. I don't know if there's uh, internal beef between them. But I do know that Wall's got a couple years left on his contract. There's no guarantee from what I'm hearing that he's going to be in D.C. when it ends. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised. I think the Wizards going out this summer and spending a lot of money on Bradley Beal shows that they're more committed at the time. And when that happened, him and John Wall had a slight feud, and I think that is carrying into this season. So I think if it comes between John Wall and Bradley Beal, having John Wall for longer and having not done so much, I think they will get rid of him and see if they can build around Beal for the future. Certainly will be something to monitor as the – the years progress. It's going to come to a head eventually unless the team starts winning some games. Well, talking with Chris Scruggs on the Money Mitch Effect, 
Before I let you go, Chris, I want to get your thoughts. We haven't talked NFL in a while. And the one guy I want to talk about is another St. Louis guy, Ezekiel Elliott, who is making a lot of people proud, especially that city of St. Louis, because I remember when a recruit out of John Burroughs High who had 40 touchdowns his senior season. Went to Ohio State. The rest is history. But this Cowboys team, and I know that's another one of your rooting interests, but this Cowboys team, man, they are something. Oh, yeah, the Cowboys led by Zach, Zach Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. But getting to Zeke, as we call him in St. Louis, I think as the nation calls him, he's just been playing phenomenally this year. His first two games, he brought it all pretty slow. I think he had a 50-yard game and like an 80-yard game. But in both of those games, he found a way to get into the end zone. And I think that's what I like the most about him. He finds ways to get into the end zone. He makes impactful and big plays almost every game. And I think he just played with a lot of ferocity. He doesn't look scared being a rookie. And when I saw him go up against heads up against Cam Chancellor in the preseason, that really showed me a lot about his character and his heart. Yeah, he's fearless and he's tough. And I think, you know, we can say a lot about how good of a runner he is. But the two things that have given him the best chance to succeed in the NFL that aren't getting the publicity, his pass catching ability and his ability to block. You see that with running backs. Like there's third down running backs because they can't because the starters can't block no matter how good they are. But Zeke is an underrated pass blocker that they can keep him in the entire game. And look, he's a rookie who already has clinched rookie of the year, in my opinion. We're talking about him as an MVP candidate, which hasn't happened as a rookie in a very, very long time. The last time I can think of a running back coming in with this kind of impact was Adrian Peterson, and that's the class Zeke's in right now. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. He's in the class with Adrian Peterson. Ty Gurley had a good year last year as well, but his team didn't have – he didn't have the same effect on his team. So, and I think that's the biggest difference between Ezekiel Elliott and those guys. His first year coming into the league, he led the Cowboys to an 8-1 record. And I think the way he's doing it with the yards, touchdowns, big plays, blocking like you said – and just being able to catch the ball as well, I think his overall impact is the reason he's getting looked at as a top candidate for MVP. And even the one loss they had, he had 51 yards. They lost by one point. So you could say that was his worst game, and he could almost be the reason they lost. He had a bad game. <laughs> yeah, he is a very important player on that team, and it's going to be a joy to watch him play for the next for over a decade coming up, hopefully. You know, Lord willing, no injuries. There is one other question I wanted to ask you. We haven't really gotten into the debate side of things yet. I want a, a quick answer on your opinion right now. Who's the best wide receiver in the NFL? I would say, and I thought he was the best receiver last year, and I'm still going to go with him this year. I would say Julio Jones. Okay. I would go with, followed by A.J. Green. And then after that, I would have to go with Antonio Brown on the top three wide receivers in my opinion. But if I had to pick one this year, I think I like Julio Jones with the speed, size, and strength. I just think he could do it all. I think he's fearless. He's finally staying healthy. And I would have to pick him as the number one receiver this year if I had to do a 1B. Even though he isn't having a statistical year, I would still go Antonio Brown. I, I just like his route running ability and his big game ability. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I think Julio's the guy given size and speed combination and yeah the order seems pretty good i think beckham could be added to that list he's another guy but yeah there's 
It's a good time for receivers as well, and I like Julio in that argument. Right now, who is your Super Bowl teams? Who do you have going at this point? At this point, I almost don't want to pick the Cowboys, but I became a Cowboys fan this year when they picked up Zeke Elliott. Mm -hmm. And considering they're starting off 8-1, I'm going to say the Cowboys. And then I would like to see the Cowboys play the Patriots. I think the Patriots might make it. I think Tom Brady has something to prove. I just think between the Patriots and the Broncos, and I think the Cowboys have a good chance of going. That's a safe bet. I think Seattle's making a run. They could be a tough team for Dallas, but hard not to argue that right now. And Chris, lastly, before we wrap this up, there's another guy with the St. Louis area has produced some, some very good basketball players in the last couple of years, really the last couple of decades. But now there's a new one. There's a new guy playing at Duke this year, Jason Tatum. He's missed a couple games early, overcome coming off of an injury, I should say. What should we expect from this guy? And on a national stage, in your opinion, how long before people are really taking notice of what he's doing? I think as soon as he steps on the court, people would take notice. And even on a national stage, I think a few people should know about him. He was the uh, Gatorade Player of the Year. So, you know, with YouTube, people know about the high school stars early. But what we should expect, he's a smart player. He's a very polished player. He's a six, seven point guard. He can handle the mm -hmm. ball. He can shoot. He's smart. He's going to get even smarter now that he's attending Duke and playing under Coach K. He can really shoot the ball. And his footwork and his just overall skill set to me is immaculate considering wow. he's about to be a freshman in college. Yeah, it's a, it's a scary thing you just described almost like a perfect player. And he's going to be a freshman in college. But, yeah, playing for Coach K is not going to hurt him. I don't think that's going to hurt his, his college game and his pro potential. Which, by the way, this could be one of the deepest draft classes we look forward to 2017. He's in the running for number one. There is a lot of guys fighting for that top spot. And I've heard the phrase six or seven deep with top one or two potential. There's a lot of good players coming out next year, and he's one of them. Oh, yeah, it'll a lot of these freshmen decide to be one and done this year in college. I think the top five picks, whoever received the top five picks in the NBA this year, I think they will get a number one rated pick, a player who could have been a number one pick. So I think it's a good year to have a top five pick in the NBA, especially if all these college players like Malik Monk come out and they decide to just be one and done, which seems to be the standard nowadays. Well, that's also going to make for some, some high-level tanking in the NBA, so I'm looking forward to that as well. We'll see. But, Chris, thanks for coming on the show. It's always a blast talking sports with you. It's been too long, but it won't be that long before your next appearance, I assure you that. Uh, yeah, I, I really want to thank you for inviting me on the show, and as the show progressed, I started feeling more comfortable and comfortable, so hopefully I could come on again in the future. Oh, yeah, there's, there's always sports to talk about. I think we... We proved that for four years in college, so, no, absolutely. That's all right. It's been too long, nine years. <laughs>
Next week is Thanksgiving week. We'll see. I might have three shows in there as well. Some more special guests to talk to in the sports world. Football, basketball, hockey. Great. You know, just saw the Kings play last night against the Oilers. That McDavid fellow is good. He still pulled out the W. So there's a lot to get to in the sports world. It doesn't stop. And you have my word, neither will I. Thanks for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michaels signing off. Enjoy the weekend and enjoy the sports, everybody.